I'm back in the saddle again. Broadcasting live on Better Horses Network, Sharon Camarillo's fun and fast times. Nobody holds a candle to me in my red high heels. Join National Hall of Famer and author Sharon Camarillo as she inspires, educates, and entertains while exploring the fastest growing equine sport, barrel racing. Get information from top trainers, competitors, and equine educators. Tips on training, competition, hauling, nutrition, and more. And now, live from the beautiful San Joaquin Valley of California, here's your host, Sharon Camarillo. Talk about wanting it all. Our guests on today's show are among the best young riders in the world. Call them rising stars. Call them young guns. They're world champions in the making. Determined, passionate, talented, though they differ in disciplines, each understand how aligning their lives is key to success. After this short break, it's going to be my honor to introduce 25-year-old cutting phenom Cody Hedlund, 26-year-old National Reining Horse Association Cole Price, and Colorado born and raised 21-year-old Ivy Conrado on her way to her first national finals rodeo. We're also adding a new segment, and we hope that we can inspire you to join us on Ask Sharon. We might not have all the answers, but we know where to find them. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times on the Better Horses Network. We'll be right back after this. MedVet pharmaceutical products are recognized in the industry as the trusted brand. Product ingredient formulas are pharmaceutical grade and certified for potency and purity through the National Animal Supplement Council for high performance. MVP's Exceed 6-Way is clinically proven and comes highly recommended by veterinarians and leading professionals, including Sharon Camarillo. Exceed 6-Way provides the highest level of support for joints, gastric function, muscles, hooves, hair coat, and digestion. You will feel and experience the difference when using Exceed 6-Way, 60-day guaranteed results or 100% money back. Call United Vet Equine at 800-328-6652 and mention the Sharon Camarillo podcast to receive $100 off a two-month supply of Exceed 6-Way. Retails at $182.50. This is Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times. And now, back to Sharon. Arguably the best young rider in cutting history, 2005 non-pro world champion at the age of 15, former NCHA Super Stakes champion when he was a non-pro, back-to-back AQHA world championships, 2016 Super Stakes non-pro cutting champion, champion, and reserve champion at the Pacific Coast Cutting Horse Derby at the South Point Arena in Las Vegas, career earnings of over $500,000, and newly inducted to the National Cutting Horse Association Hall of Fame. It's an honor to be able to welcome Cody Hedlund to Fun and Fast Times. Good morning, Cody. Good morning, Sharon. Thank you very much. You know, I... uh, I know that feeling when they call your name at, at the uh, induction ceremony and you walk up to that podium. Give us a little uh, uh, reminder of what was going through your mind, what you said, and how you felt. Oh, um, there's a lot of things that go through my mind, but uh, the main thing was just, wow. I mean, I think about all the, all the people that have helped me get there and, and the horses that I've rode to help me get there and... Uh, just it all kind of coming together and, and like one defining moment in my, in my career so far as being able to be inducted into that non-pro hall of fame and, and being 26 years old, it's, it's, you know, it's very, very, very cool to be uh, recognized with a lot of those great non-pros. And uh, it was also special because there was a couple of my friends that I competed with in the youth and like along up the ranks as we've, progressed and got older and they also got honored that night so it was kind of a cool feeling to to know a bunch of my peers that I've competed with my whole life was also were also honored in that same night so that's exciting you know when when we're all consumed with our discipline and what we do you know it seems like the whole world revolves around barrel racing or cutting whatever our discipline is 
but when it's all said and done, it's a pretty small area. And when you can consider family and to be able to celebrate with family, it's pretty special. Was there a lump in your throat? Oh, yes, definitely. You know, my mom and dad have been uh, been a huge part to my success. I mean, without them, I wouldn't be here. And uh, my grandpa was able to make it too. And and just having them there at that at that moment was uh, was pretty cool, you know, to get to share that with them because they've they've all sacrificed a lot for me to to be in that moment and and just to kind of have them be rewarded at the same time because it wasn't just my award it was definitely part theirs too, you know. That's fantastic. Well, I say congratulations not only to you but to your parents. Please give them my regards. And interesting, and you can certainly correct me if I'm wrong. Your mother, Landy, was a, a former barrel racer and married your father, Rock, who was a cutting horse trainer in your early life. Was there a defining moment as you were growing up as an only child in California, I'll add, that uh, mm-hmm. you decided to follow in the Heaven legacy? Um, yeah, I guess not really a defining moment. I just, uh, I used to sit at the cuttings and we'd go to all the cuttings when I was a young kid and. And uh, I just, when I was about 11, we were at a show in the summertime, and all the kids, you know, took off to go get ready to show in the youth, and I was just left out there by myself. And so I got pretty bored of hanging out by myself at that show and and decided to tell my mom that, hey, I I really want to show. And so we went to Target or Walmart and got me a couple (laughs) long-sleeved shirts because I didn't have any. And... uh, we, uh, I got to show a horse that my dad was showing in one of the novice classes um, there that weekend. And, and ever since that weekend, I hauled, that was, I think, in like June or July of, uh, I think, 2001, I guess. And, uh, and I just never quit since then. Then to come back as a 15-year-old and, and win a championship, that's pretty amazing. Oh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a pretty cool deal, especially because um, my mom had won that event, that same um, class, seven years prior in 1998, and uh, it was just being cool. It was just really cool being able to, uh, you know, for all three of us to be a, a world champion in a in a an event. Absolutely, carrying me, on the family dad, legacy. You know, we also say that great horses make great riders, and your dad is a trainer. Of course, your mother is a mentor, both of them coaching. And as I remind my students, there's no one that's rooting for your success more than your parents. Uh, but mm-hmm. you've got some some uh, a good bloodline uh, that your dad trains and some special horses that have carried you along. Can you tell us a little bit about the Tellus, about this cat and the, uh, the Metallus cat? They're half-sisters and family family raised yep yep well uh to make a long story short uh, my mom and dad had a chance to uh to sell those two horses metallic cat and tell us about this cat their great great grandmother um and her name was uh diamond lena bars and they had a chance to sell it for a lot of money when they had just got married and and they decided not to um even though they really needed the money and they kept her and dad dad was for sure that this was going to be the his next, you know, good producing mare, and he was going to be able to take it down the road and make a bunch of money off her babies. Well, um, there's, uh, then there was another mare that came out of that diamond, diamond Lena bars. Her name was Miss Santa Lena. And, uh, she was by Mr. San Pepe. And, uh, she was, uh, she was kind of just the next line in that lineage. And dad just, you know, kept thinking, kept thinking, you know, this is going to, this is a good mare. And, She's going to produce some winners. And then we had Tell Us Lies, who is uh, Lena's Tell Us, out of um, Miss Santa Lena. And uh, she was she won um, just a little under 100000 And uh, then uh, we had these two babies that we've had, that we have now. And one was uh, a WR, this cat, Smart Mare. Tell us about this cat. And uh, she was, I was the, her and I were the 2011 Non-Pro Horse of the Year winners and I won the non-pro super stakes in 2011 and she was just a really really good mare for me when I first started coming out or when I first started being successful in Texas and then now we have our stud Metellus Cat who's a metallic cat out of Metellus Lies and uh, and you know he's been great for my dad and I both Um, 
I mainly showed Telus about this cat in the non-pro, but um, my dad and I have both doubled up on um, a Telus cat in the open and the non-pro, and uh, we've just had a lot of a lot of success with him, and we've been very blessed to be a part of him and and this big old long family tree that Dad thought was going to work, and it finally ended up working. So. And didn't you recently score 150 at the Derby on Metallus Cat? Uh, no, I marked it 226. 226, okay. Mm-hmm. That's that's Which fantastic. Is like I'm sorry. I but also marking. No, you're. you're I'm you're out at the, the time event. You needed to add, <laughs> yeah, you needed to you needed to add one more score, so I marked it 226. <laughs> uh, that might have been the judge I was talking to, right? Well, you Maybe. know, when yep. it's it's fantastic. It makes success even sweeter when you own those horses and you have those personal relationships with those horses. What is it about those bloodlines that that make them, uh, you know, fit into your style? Do you fit into the horse's style or do they fit into yours? I think it's more of uh, more of I fit in. I think it's more of Dad and I have been fitting into their style because um, their biggest their biggest attribute of of all, all those horses that we've had um, through that bloodline is, is they want to do their job. They want to help you as much as they can. Um, it's it's not just you out there trying to pedal them around and, and making sure they're correct or anything like that. They they want to do their job. They love their job, and, and it makes it makes our job easier because we help them where we need to and then let them take over where they can, and, and that's where – where it's been, in my mind, it's been very successful. You know, it's, you know, we have, though, different disciplines. There's a lot of similarities. And, you know, our mentors are certainly important. Um, before I ask you about some of your mentors, uh, aside from your mother and dad, I wanted to bring out the thought process that, you know, so many times people say, just let the horse alone, let him work. But they often don't understand the, the pregame rituals, the uh, preparation during the week, the warm-up, and getting into that point where you can just let them work. It's not just getting on and throwing their heads away and expecting terrific outcomes. What uh, what program yep. do you implement during the week, Cody, if, if when you have a big contest coming up? Um, I just uh, I work them on cows or the flag every day before, uh, before I'm going to compete, and uh, I just try to try to keep everything uh, very very simple, I guess. You know, a cutting horse's main job is to stop and turn with the cow, and I try to just make that as simple as can be um, because, you know, there's nine different ways to skin a cat, but you know, <laughs> and there's so many different ways we can make these cutting horses do it. But if we just enhance what they can do good by what we do, and and just try to, you know, bring out their best qualities when we go down there to put our hand down and, and show the judge what we have, then, and that's all we can do. I love that and the fact, you know, in barrel racing, timed event, you know, pretty much anybody can hang on a horse and get through a right and two lefts, and you have no judges, so it's uh, pretty pure when you start and stop that stopwatch. But in cutting, there's a lot of impressions, and you have, am I right, Three judges, Cody. Well, at, at our big age events, um, yes, there's uh, actually there's usually five judges at the big age events, and the five judge system works where they they take all the scores and they take the high low the high score and the low score and they take all those out and they take the three middle scores. So when you so have so it, many talented horses, you know, through our bloodlines, you know, we've created just a, a real array of very talented horses. So there's got to be something just a little special to get those extra points that you've been used to receiving. And when you're watching those cutting horses that love their job and those riders that let them work, that, you know, there's been kind of a style change through the year. And I'm talking a little out of context, but in today's world, it seems like there's just a lot of, I don't know what you call it, left or right, the sw- a lot of sway, the whole body, a lot of hind in and a lot of uh, front-end footwork. Am I right there? Oh, yes, definitely. You know, it's, it's, I think the combination of what you're saying is, is our horses' styles have changed a little bit. You know, we've gotten them to be more efficient through their movements and stuff like that. 
Um, but also our cows have made it to where, you know, the cows have been a lot quicker and, and a lot different than they used to be, you know, even five years ago, 10 years ago. And we've had to, you know, horses, horses and horse trainers have had to adjust their, their way of training, you know, and, and make it a lot cow oriented because these cows are so trickier than they used to be. That That's amazing. You know, we get so detailed oriented, not only in, in our horses, our bloodlines, our tack, our equipment, bridles, um, and, and cattle, you know, but one thing we can probably say that doesn't go out of style is good horsemanship and the respect that we have for those animals and showing them and developing them along with ourselves to be the best we can be. When we're talking about that, uh, mentors are important. Mentors in your life, Cody, can you uh, tell us how you select those mentors and, and what they do to uh, support your your program? Um, you know, a lot of it is, uh, is, is what, what I like to see, you know, like we're talking, you know, I like to see, uh, I like to see people that are good horsemen and, and, uh, that really care for the horse and, and also that don't just train one style of horse, but can mold their style to fit the horse. Like I try to do, um, you know, it's, it's, I've been able, been blessed to work with very many, uh, top trainers in our business and and it's just been really cool to see the different i mean there's just like we said there's so many different ways to train a horse and and get them to do what you want them to do and and there's so many different opinions and styles and everything like that and and i just try to find somebody with the same style and and same eye for a horse i guess that i have and that's that's what i look for you know, we some some riders, some champions are born into it, as you were with talented parents, and and some are made. And there's another California phenomenal cutter, Phil Rapp, who uh, we were proud to say we put him on his first horse, a little rope horse, and the rope horse immediately ran off with him, and it scared us to death. But uh, he was phenomenal, moved to Texas, and uh, Phil was in uh, had some involvement in your early training. Oh yes, he was. Uh, he was definitely. I mean, besides my my mom and dad, uh, Phil and Mary Ann Rapp were probably uh, the biggest supporters and and teachers and mentors and everything all the above in my life um, thus far. Um, I was I was uh, privileged enough to work for Phil Rapp for six years right out of high school, and uh, you know he he taught me a lot about horses and getting them ready to show and and showing them in the show pen and making sure you know you don't always uh always cut for first place you know there was a there was a time in idaho that i remember where i was hauling uh my mare w or uh tell us about this cat um for the non-pro horse of the year and there the first person in that class marked a uh 225 i think it was a beautiful run and it was uh, just correct as can be, and, and it was just a really, really nice run. And I was down later in the draw, and I uh, I remember Phil telling me now, and at that time when, when I was about ready to show, there was a 225, and then second place was like a 218, 219. So there was a, a big gap between first and second score-wise. And he said, now, now, Cody, just remember that there's a big gap in between first and second. So if you can get to it, you know, challenge the first place person, but if you can't, just make sure you stay right in there and, and maybe be second if you can, so we can, you know, you can still keep progressing, still win money, still win points for the horse of the year, and and it was it really changed my mindset in showing, you know, you don't always have to necessarily go for the win, but if it presents itself, definitely take advantage of it, but also don't be afraid to be second if you can make the best out of a situation like that. That was a life lesson, isn't it? Oh yes, definitely, and I've and I've used that same life lesson multiple times since then. You know, and it was only five years ago, and I've I can't tell you the amount of times that I've implemented it since then. <laughs> it's it's hard when you know you're the next writer up, and you've got a lot of pressure on you, and you're trying to get all your training to come together at the right time and select the right cow. And so if you can if you can gravitate back to some of those fundamentals, it certainly helps. Yes, ma'am, definitely. 
So, Cody, we've got, you know, lots of uh, young listeners that are so inspired by um, your success and want to be just like you. It puts a lot of pressure on you to be a role model. Any uh, tips or words of wisdom that you can offer some of these young aspiring cutters to be able to uh, get a good foundation to, to follow in your footsteps? Just have fun. Make it all about fun. Um, that was one thing that, that my dad did when I was growing up. You know, there was never a – I mean, I he always pushed me to be better in in certain situations um, and, and want to be better, but he also made it fun, and, and my mom was the same way. And it, it just made me want to be, be the best I could, you know, because I was having fun. I was doing what I loved. I was driving these great animals and – and it was it was just always fun, and I've always just tried to make sure that I never forget that. Just always keep it fun, because that's what it's here for. I mean, yes, it is a business, and yes, we do want to win, and yes, you know, we want to be respected and all that other stuff, but I think if you have fun while you're doing it, all that other stuff will come in the meantime. Cody, that's remarkable. It's a, it's a great way to sum it up. Would you uh, share with us a, a good way to follow your success, to follow along with you, or to get in touch with uh, your dad, or the, the Headland Legacy, for anyone who might be interested? Um, yeah, we have, uh, my dad has a Facebook page. Um, it's just Rock Headland Cutting Horses. And uh, we also have a Facebook page for our stallion that we've been showing and it's uh, metellus cat that's m-e-t-e-l-e-s cat and uh i think he's got an instagram too and uh we post <laughs> a big fan we following <laughs> we, well in today's society that social media is a great way to you know use promotion for your stud and or whatever you want to do so we we've kind of jumped on that bandwagon but yeah you can follow us there and and my dad does a lot of clinics out in California, and, and they're always posting about them on uh, on his Facebook page and, and stuff like that. And then my mom has her Facebook page, and you can always contact her. And Landy Headland. And, uh, yes, Landy Headland. And uh, you can just check up on us and see how we're doing. Well, we're talking to you from the San Joaquin Valley, not far from where you grew up, but we're worldwide 24-7 on demand. And uh, I know that you have a worldwide following. Cody, you said earlier you had your horse, last horse ridden for the day. It's hot in Texas. And we so appreciate you taking a deep breath and, and joining us on, on uh, Fun and Fast Time. So uh, I'll say from Texas, we've been talking to Hall of Famer Cody Hedlund. It's been an honor, Cody. Thank you. Stay with us. After this short break, we'll shift disciplines to reigning trainer Cole Price. You're listening to Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times on the Better Horses Network. We'll be right back after this. MedVet pharmaceutical products are recognized in the industry as the trusted brand. Product ingredient formulas are pharmaceutical grade and certified for potency and purity through the National Animal Supplement Council for high performance. MVP's Gastroplex provides over 15,000 milligrams of high-level active ingredients recognized to support the integrity of soft tissue stomach lining against the abrasiveness of gastric acid. Gastroplex carries a 60-day satisfaction guarantee or 100% money back and is highly recommended by veterinarians and leading professionals, including Sharon Camarillo. Call United Vet Equine at 800-328-6652 and mention the Sharon Camarillo podcast to receive $50 off a two-month supply of Gastroplex. Retails at $108.75. This is Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times. And now, back to Sharon. 2014 was a game-changing year for this young Illinois Rainer. National Reining Horse Association Level 1 Futurity Champion, American Quarter Horse Congress Futurity Champion, and named by the National Rain, Reining Horse Association Up-and-Coming Trainer of the Year. Cole Price, welcome to Better Horses Network and Fun and Fast Times. I'm glad I could be here. Thank you. Well, we talked yesterday a little bit. Um, you're a graduate of Blackhawk College, and Donna Irvin has been on the air 
in the past, and we certainly promote education. Um, we visited with you, and you were still riding horses, and we know it's not cool in the in the Midwest there. We talked a little earlier, and um, if you're not riding, you're thinking. So how long is the cold price day at the ranch? Oh, I usually try to get to the barn about 6 o'clock. Um, usually I try to ride about 12 to 13 a day, and when I say that, I mean if it takes an hour and a half to ride it, I'll ride it. Um, I'm very patient when I ride my horses. You hard to ever see me see me overwork them too much where they're they're not able to think but i try to ride about 12 to 13 horses so sometimes it's seven o'clock at night when i leave sometimes it's like last night it was 8 30 by the time i finished everything up so it's a long day then i go home and usually watch that watch stuff on youtube and try to figure out what the people are doing the the ones that are beating me try to figure out what they're doing try to better myself well, your college professor says she's never met a student that has the work ethic. And not only were you a full-time student, you were also working full-time when you were at Blackhawk. Explain a little bit how you got the two of those to work together. Yeah, um, it was a lot of hours. I worked for Mike Davis at the time. He lived an hour away. And uh, I would I would sleep on his couch um, and get up about probably about 3 o'clock in the morning. I had to be at school. Um, at 10, my first class was at 10. So I had to leave the barn by nine o'clock. So as soon as I get to the barn about nine or about three o'clock in the morning or three thirty or so, I'd get on as many horses I could. Sometimes it was six, sometimes it was eight. Um, I'd ride until about nine o'clock. I'd drive an hour, go to school. I'd ride a couple horses at school. Um, usually have the horse show team practice at night. I would stay, I would get done with that and I'd usually just bum somebody's couch to sleep on because I knew I wasn't going to sleep very long. I'd get up. <laughs> I think about, I think about six thirty, and I student taught the riding class in the morning, stayed at school all day till about four, then drove to Mike's and then rode until about 10 or 11 at night. So it was a, it was a full-time process. I uh, just about went broke a couple times. I'm glad Taco Bell came out with the 89 cent burrito because that probably <laughs> kept me, kept me going. But I, looking back at it, I think that was probably my favorite point in my life. It was just kind of where you got to put in your time. And looking back at it, I mean, I learned so much. Well, so you you are a living thing. example that success is 1% vision, 99% alignment. And you and I are similar in our backgrounds because we had a passion to ride. But uh, I was raised in the city, actually, on the beach. And I had, mm-hmm. you know, later in life had great friends that were raised into the industry. Some of them are no longer in the industry, and, and I'm proud that I am. But um, yeah. we talked earlier to Cody Headland in Texas, and, of course, Cody's mother and dad were both cutters, and he's a champion cutter. You were introduced to horses at a, a young age, but not necessarily to this level that you've, that you've brought your passion to. Uh, t- give us a little insight into... Cole Price? Um, my family, I grew up showing draft horses. We had a perch drawn horse uh, hitch, and we we were pretty strong in that until, I want to say about the time I was eight or nine, and I mean, horses was the only thing I could think of. I can remember my parents telling me a story when I was little, when I was still trying to figure out how to dress myself. I could never put my shoes on the right feet, uh, and they just let me do it. Well, eventually they got tired of it, and, uh, and in our hitch, we had a horse named Mark, and he was on the right, and John was on the left. And my mom and dad put an M for Mark on my right shoe and a, and a J for John on the left shoe, and I never once got it wrong. I mean, I've always related everything with horses. And probably about the time I was nine, I started getting addicted to the to the riding horses, and I started training breaking horses for my neighbors and, and people around the area when I was about 11. And then probably about the time... I was 14 is when I was introduced to reining and started playing around with it by myself and realized it was, I was addicted to it, but if I was going to be good, I needed to go get help. Um, and between my junior and senior high school, I went down to Texas for an internship for Brent Lowski. Uh, Brent is probably one of the best cult starters even today. And then he, he hired me right out, right out of high school. And I was there oh, about eight or nine months and decided if I'm going to do this serious, I need to go get that piece of paper at college that everybody needs to go get. And then that's when I got hooked up with Blackhawk. Um, and that was a, that was a great experience for me because 
I got introduced to people like Donna Irvin, who she's pretty much mentally just like I am. I mean, she lives and breathes it. And I uh, got introduced to the horse show team, which that was quite a bit of a struggle for me because I hadn't shown a whole lot. And I knew I knew how to – I thought I knew how to train one at least. But the showman part was probably the biggest thing I picked up because once you walk in that pen, you can't train anymore. You kind of got to sell it to them. And, and I struggled that for a while, and then things kind of clicked. And uh, at the same time, I was working for Mike Davis. I worked for Mike for about five years, started showing – when I was with Mike and uh, did pretty good. And then let's say I was there for about five years and I went to work for Gabe Hutchins and I learned a lot, Gabe, on how, how to finish a horse. And that was when I had all the success I did. And then recently in August, I started up my own business last year. Well, you know, one of the areas that Donna and I talk about is, is your, your um, ability to understand how horsemanship techniques transcend between disciplines. And though you've created your niche in reigning, now you've opened the price performance horses. Do you ever think that you'll expand some of your showing outside the reigning industry? Mm, probably not, just because I live and die the uh, the reigning. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, if somebody asked me to catch ride a pleasure horse or something or a western rider, I, I think I would try it. I'm not, I'm not opposed to not trying it. But... I don't know. I, I, honestly, I think a good showman can show in any discipline. Once you kind of figure out how to, you know, make everything line up, I think a good showman should be able to show anything. It's a, You're inspiring, Cole. Thank you so much for being on the show and the fact that, you know, we have a, a lot of uh, people that listen, whether they're young potential riders or riders uh, that are hobbyists. There's 9 million horses in the United States, about 2 million horse owners. And uh, we find our niche, and some people don't. You know, they they have a passion, but they don't know how to carry through with it. And by you saying that you ate 88-cent Taco Bells, you uh, oh, yeah. created your own internship as a senior in high school, went to Texas. That was tough, leaving home. And then oh, you yeah. researched colleges and mentors. How do people go about finding mentors and uh, give us a little insight in, in how they can make things happen when they don't have it laid out for them? You know, I think I think where people get lost is, is, you know, they don't set necessarily enough goals for themselves. Like, for example, my, my goal is always I want to be the youngest million-dollar rider and the youngest one to ever win the fraternity, and I believe this would be my last year, so I'm giving it everything I have, but... I think you got to set high goals and then, then you have to look at it and then you got to set realistic achievable goals. So if you want to be, say, if you want to be a reigning horse trainer, you know, you need to figure out who you want to ride like. And then say, if you want to ride like myself, I'd like to ride like Andre Pani, you know, Craig Smersall. I watch those people a lot. And you know, when I get a chance, I go and ask them. I think people are scared to ask people just because I don't know if they don't want to feel like they don't know anything, but I think the biggest thing you can do is reach out and ask those people, you know, how did you get to the point where you got? And then try to figure out, okay, maybe I need to go work for this guy. Or, you know, I think you kind of got to set a plan up, a realistic plan. But the best advice I think anybody's ever given me is, you know, walk up to those people and shake their hand and, and talk to them. They'll, they'll answer your question if you ask them. Well, I loved what you said about setting goals. And in today's world of instant gratification, people want to buy it. They want to try it, and they don't want to put in that that hard work that um, is important to be able to create our craft. But I liked what you said about setting believable and achievable goals and yep. and just being patient. I mean, one step at a time, Cole, you've really carved your niche out in the reigning industry, and we certainly hope uh, to see you as the uh, youngest million-dollar rider you know, with that said, and as difficult as it is to find those good horses, and we always say that great horses make great riders, but in 2014, the horse you showed in the fraternity was a horse of your own. Am I right? Um, it was a horse I bought for a client. We, we picked him out as a yearling. And, and what do you look for when you're shopping for horses uh, to be able to show or to create reigning horses? You know, the the first thing I like to look at is I, I want to look at a horse 
look him right in the eye. I want to see a horse that looks at me, not through me. I, and this sounds funny, but I've had horses that have squinted at me, and there's no different than somebody squinting at you, you know. I want a horse that looks at you. I want a horse. Um, pedigree has a lot to do with it. I look more on the on the maternal side because I think a good producer can produce anything bred to any stud. Um, but I want a horse that moves very balanced. They drive up underneath themselves. Um, like I like to watch watch the yearlings walk. I want to see their back legs step up underneath their front, almost step in the exact track as their front foot. Um, but there's got to be something that, that stands out in that, or in that horse that pops your eye a little bit. Like the one that I did get on, I mean, ever since I seen him first, that horse had a certain swagger about him. And I can remember, I mean, he still does it. Uh, when you lead him out of the stall, it was a long aisle way uh, to where you tack him up. And that horse would just hang his head low, and he'd look out the corner of his eye just kind of like, hey, look at me. He wouldn't be wouldn't be cocky or nothing, but he just had that certain swagger. You could tell he had a lot of self-confidence, and that horse was always like that. He always had a self-confidence to him, and that's very important to me. I want a horse that not necessarily would be the leader of the pack, but one that is not going to get pushed around. I want one that's kind of has a little say and a little bit of confidence to him naturally. How important uh, or what role do bloodlines play in selecting your reigning horses? Um, you know, bloodlines, I think, is probably, it probably helps with your odds. Um, but I've seen horses that were bred as good as you can get, and then they they weren't as nice as their papers said. So with that being said, they have to be an individual. Um, Wimpy's Little Step, um, for example, is probably probably the horse that changed the reigning industry the most. And at the time, you know, the people were riding a lot of new checks of cashes, but not a lot of them. And that horse was such an individual that all of a sudden new checks to cash became popular because Wimpy himself was such an individual. Um, and he still is an individual. So I look, I look at the horse. I have to like the horse first. Then I look at the papers and if I like the papers, you know, if, if there's something on there, I don't like, I'll question it and think about it. But just because it's on paper don't mean that's it's going to be that way with the horse. They have to be an individual. What's interesting, you know, in the barrel horse business, that's gotten to be quite a, an industry in, in duplicating winning horses. And I've always said that, you know, you can buy the, the full brother to a horse. And if they don't have that heart that you identify through their training program, they're never going to be their brother. So, though, that's I guess exactly bloodlines it. teach us... Uh, uh, the trainability of a horse or the adaptability, yep. it really doesn't guarantee a, a big win. Not exactly. I've, I've had a horse, I had a full brother to a horse that won 300000 and the one I had won 3000 So, I mean, it's it's all, they got to be an individual. I mean, they're, they're not all the same. I admire you in the fact that, you know, like I said, we started out similar in the fact that we didn't have a lot of uh, family support uh, to pursue our passions and, and I went into the timed event because I didn't have any understanding or link to training, didn't have the financial contribution to be able to get lessons or the horses or the clothing. But in barrel racing, you can come up the alleyway and, and everyone's equal, just depending on That's what right. the stopwatch dictates is whether you win or lose. But in, in the horse that you won so much on in the fraternity, I loved how you identified his swagger. You have uh, yep. a judging panel that you've got to catch their eye because in the big picture, you know, horses basically do the same thing in reining. They run and slide and big circles and small circles, change leads. And yep, it's all similar. It's fantastic. Well, Cole, I love having the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day. And I know you've got horses saddled in an afternoon to ride. But you talked so much about goal setting and your history, knowing you from Blackhawk. You uh, you are able to identify those short-term, mid-range, and long-term goals. And when we look at Cole Price, what's the big picture? Where are you going? Where do we go tomorrow and next year? Um, well, my goal for this year is to, to, to have very successful pre-fraternities with my three-year-olds. My goal is to have I'd like to say three fraternity horses in open finals, but if I have two, I'll be a happy camper. And then every year I want I want people to see Cole Price in the finals, I want, which means I need to have a solid program starting with my two-year-olds all the way up. So my goal is to become a top performer. 
I'd like to say the best, but that's what I'm shooting for. I want to be the best. Got a long way to go, but that's what I'm going for. Well, guess what? When they induct you into the NRHA Hall of Fame, I'm going to be there cheering you on. Great. How can we get in touch with you? I know you've inspired a lot of young riders and riders that are interested in reigning. How can we get in touch with Cole Price? Um, probably the the best way, and if, if you don't know much about me, there's a lot of pictures and information, but on my Facebook page, Price Performance Horses, um, it has all my contact lists and all my pictures from from shows and a lot, of, a lot of recent videos from horse shows, and it also shows how well the Price Performance Horses team is doing at the horse shows. Um, and I know pretty much everybody's on Facebook, so I would say that's probably the safest way. Uh, my email address and everything's on there. So feel free to shoot me an email or call me. My my phone number is on there as well. And that's Cole, K-O-L-E. K-O-L-E. Well, we're, we're rooting for you, my friend. Thank you. Ride safe. Thank you. Stay with us. We'll introduce barrel racing phenomenon, Ivy Conrado. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times on the Better Horses Network. We'll be right back after this. If you're looking for professional, quality, American-made tack, saddles, and equipment, make the Barrel Racing Superstore your first stop. The Superstore carries the complete line of Sharon Camarillo's endorsed equipment, along with selected items from other companies and professional competitors. Don't let the name fool you. The store is not all about barrel racing. Sharon is a horsewoman who believes that top-quality equipment, along with the understanding of how to use it, complements the outcome of training and performance. Check out the resources online or call for personal, knowledgeable assistance. Go to BarrelRacingSuperstore.com or call 530-521-4644. Again, BarrelRacingSuperstore.com or 530-521-4644. This is Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times. And now, back to Sharon. My first thought and impression when I met this talented 21-year-old Colorado cowgirl was what a sweet countenance and a focused demeanor she carried. It may have been those signature glasses she wears, but Ivy Conrado <laughs> currently ranks second in the Women's Professional Rodeo Association World Standings is all business when she rides in the arena. We were able to catch Ivy in Billings, Montana on her way to the Calgary Stampede and I just want to say, Ivy, thank you so much for taking the time out of your road schedule to talk with us on Fun and Fast Times. Oh, absolutely. You've had a remarkable year to date. You won the Ram Circuit Finals, the American Semifinals, qualified for Houston, Calgary Stampede, just to name a few. That's a remarkable credential that a, a, a rider only her second year in professional rodeo um, has and I just want to congratulate you for your success uh, to date. Thank you. It's been it's been a uh, I don't know just a whirlwind. It all just kind of happened really fast. So yeah. Well, I've never met a barrel racer that doesn't like to talk about their horses, and we often mention mention that great horses make great riders. Tell us a yeah. little bit about C4 Tibby Stinson, the beautiful sorrel mare that you're hauling. Oh, Tibby's um, she's one of the most special horses that I've ever been around. Uh, she's a little tiny mare. I think she's like 14-2, maybe 14-3. Um, we raised her. She's out of a mare that I junior high um, and high school rodeoed on a little bit. And um, she, she's just a really, really gritty mare, and she gives it her all every single time. And she has a really cool demeanor about her, and she just makes you love her. Um, she's probably the greatest thing that's that you know, ever been in my possession. <laughs> well, we share we share some common friends, Tassie and Jimmy Monroe, and they were recently here and gave me an interesting story. Uh, you and your dad had unloaded a string of horses that were in training three-year-olds at uh, yep. the late, great Wanda Bush's house, and she immediately yep. went over to Tibby and picked her out as your winner. Yep, she did. I, you know, I wasn't there that day. Um, it was just dad and Kate, my sister, actually. Dad had Tibby over there, and uh, he said that, you know, at that time when Tibby was three, she was maybe 14 hands, and she was a tiny little thing. And 
He said that Wanda walked over to her and just said, this is, this is my pick. This is the one that I choose. So, you know, that's, I mean, having Wanda say that about a horse is pretty special. Your dad is quite a legacy in his own right. And yes. um, he was a trainer of Tibby, which was remarkable. And yes. as that little four-year-old entering in fraternities, I, I believe she holds the record. She won seven fraternities that year that, she, that your dad was hauling her. Yes, she did. She won seven fraternities. Um, and I don't, I, you know, there's a lot of horses that go out there and they'll win Fort Smith or they'll win, you know, the BFA or win a slot race and have super high and lifetime earnings from one or two runs. But Tibby just hammered it out and she won seven fraternities, which is, you know, super consistent for a fraternity goal. You know, it's amazing because, you know, there's a fraternity business and then there's a pro rodeo business and there's a di yep. divisional race business. And all those horses uh, have unique personalities that allow them to excel in those categories. And looking back, one of the few horses that excelled in fraternity and professional rodeo went on to win a world's championship was Lynn McKenzie's great horse, Magnolia Missile. Yep. And uh, Tibby yep. seems to be following in his footsteps. Yeah, yes, yeah. And there's a different, it takes a different kind of horse, I think, to be able to win at the securities and then go on and win at the, you know, at rodeos. You don't see very many security horses go on and really, you know, excel at the rodeo. Or, you know, in hand, you don't have very many horses that do super good at fraternity year, but then they end up being rodeo horses, you know? Well, I think we have to commend your dad. You know, he has a legacy in his own right from breeder, trainer, fraternity champion. Uh, what's it like to travel with your dad, A, because he's your number one coach, but also in the fact that he knows Tibby so well. Does that help you keep focused? Um, it's a lot of help. Just, you know, you get out here and girls just struggle, uh, you know, keeping their horse down and sticking with their program, you know. You get around other people, and yeah, I've just seen it a lot. They start changing what they're doing because they're talking to somebody else about what they're doing. And, you know, it's it's nice just to have Dad out here because it's like, no, we're just going to keep doing what we do, and we're not going to change it. And, you know, if something comes up with Tibby, he's there. And, I mean, it's just a lot of – it's more of a, a safety net, I guess. I feel, you know, for Tibby's, you know, well-being and for mine, it's nice to have my dad out here on the road with me as much as he can. Uh, well, I know you have a sister, too, Paige, that's quite a talented barrel racer, and uh, she's a new mother. Congratulations for becoming an aunt. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. She, Paige is super talented. Well, I love the statement that I read that you made recently uh, the, in the sport of barrel racing. Uh, a rider needs to be able to keep their horses healthy and sound and tuned. They need to apprentice yep. or gather good mentors that, you know, have your back. Yep. And, and yes. most important, remember that uh, all those patches that you have the opportunity with sponsorship to wear on your shirt don't define who you are. That is a very yes. mature statement for a young 21-year-old <laughs> champion. Well, thank you. It's, it's hard. Dad helps a lot of younger kids. And, you know, I know uh, patches and sponsorships have been around a while, but here lately it just seems like it's become such a, uh, such a fad. I mean, you, you have to have patches on your shirt to be accepted. It's really hard on younger girls or, you know, even younger athletes in rodeo. And I just think that, you know, at the end of the day, it's amazing. And that's how most of us, you know, get down the road. But, I mean, you kind of got to figure it out on your own and not let those kind of things make you feel any better than anybody or, you know, any worse than anybody. Well, I always call them my NASCAR shirts and, you know, through exactly. my clinic program, I live in them and they really do give you a little bit of confidence, don't you believe? They do. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Ivy, when you talk about mentors, I know that you've learned some remarkable lessons on the road. Can you share maybe some of your uh, ups and downs and also the mentors who you feel have really supported you in your quest for this championship? See, I quit riding when I was in high school, and then I kind of came back to it and uh, took a couple years off, and that's hard. You know, you lose your feel, and you lose your confidence, and it's just, it was just hard. And uh, when I came back, you know, Dad did his best to help me, but Paige, you know, was rodeoing, and she was doing well, and so they were doing that. And so Dad sent me off with uh, Becky Hughes Mahoney, and I spent two winters with her and just 
kind of getting tuned up on horsemanship and just spending time out in the desert on colts and, you know, even some finished horses. And that really, I mean, that really stepped me up just with my horsemanship. Um, Confidence-wise, I used to, I still, you know, I get pretty nervous. I joke around with people and tell them that I hide in the bathroom before short rounds. You know, I do get nervous. Um, and I used to get so nervous that I couldn't, I couldn't hardly perform. You know, the first couple of times during Tibby, I was a mess. You know, I felt the pressure that my dad had one on her and she was a winner. And what if I can't step up and, you know, just having a hard time with it. And, uh, you know, um, dad sent me, he sent me off to try to, you know, rodeo on her a little bit um, in the winter time, And it just was going real bad. And I was just taking barrels on her. And so we started pulling embryos on her and I started running my sister's horse, Bubba, and he, uh, he's a confidence builder. He's pretty easy. So I did that. And, um, you know, but I had a couple of people help me with confidence and just, you know, and I can, Ashley Schaefer was a lot of help. She just always told me like, this is your job and there's no reason to be nervous. And, you know, if you, you really love this and you just have to figure it out, you know, and I've tried hard to figure it out. Well, you truly are one of the most focused riders for your age. And when you said that you got away from barrel racing for a little while, I think you were a member of the Olympic uh, volleyball team. Am I right there? Yes, yes. Um, I went to junior Olympics four four or five times. I can't quite remember the while ago, but I did go to junior Olympics. And we won a couple um, medals, uh, two bronze and one silver um, at national qualifiers. And um, I played volleyball from the time I was eight until I was uh, 17 so I had a lot of um I played for some amazing coaches and some coaches that you know were the offensive and defensive directors for the actual Olympic team and coached college teams and just really had a really good upbringing for mental mental prep for competition so and at this stage of your competition Ivy once you've got your foundation you understand the importance of, of horsemanship and, you know, understanding cues. But the the big issue is that mental game, wouldn't you think, at this point? Yes. You know, what percentage yes. would you, you feel that plays in your competition? I think that the mental game for the rider is probably 80%. 80% mental game and confidence, and then the other half is talent. And if you can have confidence and be mentally tough, then you know, it kind of can cancel out the talent and you can be okay with that. Um, (laughs) Well, what I love is sometimes we see some great, we, you know, every year at the national finals, there's 15 great horses and there's 15 great jockeys, but there's not necessarily the same uh, correlation to great horsemen. And often those names we don't see again. So I'm looking forward to seeing Avi Conrado in the top 15 for many years to come. Uh, I sure hope so. I sure hope so. Are there any uh, tips that you can give some of our writers that are listening in, Ivy, books that you read or some of the mental tricks that you use to stay focused? Before I run, I just do a lot of breathing and get my breathing under control. Uh, my dad really likes the book uh, with, with Winning in Mind. Um, you know, if you've got a really powerful horse, really fast horse or something that you feel like you can't can't quite keep up with, I recommend watching some videos of Jimmy on Billy and then you won't feel like you're going that fast. So, <laughs> uh, you know, prep, mental prep before you run, it's just uh, visualizing and breathing and making sure that you have positive thoughts. Uh, I try not to let anything negative come across and just make a good run. You never go out there, I don't think, to try to set a world record, set an arena record. It's just making a good run. And if you clock, you clock. And if you don't, well, good thing that you made a good run and you can build off of it. Okay. So with that said, what's the law? You know, I used to tell my daughter 15 seconds, a kick in the can, and then you got to come back and we're going to move on to the next run. So how do you deal? You know, we always expect to win. How do you deal when you don't? If you ask anybody that has hauled with me, I am, a sore loser and I own it and I have been a sore loser since I was a little kid and I give myself about 15 to 20 minutes of throwing buckets and being mad and being upset and whatever and then 
figure out after my 15 to 20 minutes of being a sore loser that I am, I get it together and figure out what I need to fix, and then I don't think about it ever again. Well, wasn't that a little bit of what happened at the Ram National Circle Finals? You uh, felt like you didn't step up to the plate with your run. You stomped yes. back to the trailer, and your dad said, come on, you made it to the to the final run. <laughs> yes, I tried not to stomp back to the trailer. I hurried back to the trailer. <laughs> I, was, I had a really bad run, or just a bad second barrel, and it was my fault. I walked back to the trailer, and the whole time I was walking back there, I was just beating myself up. And, John came back and he's like, you made it back. And I didn't believe him. And sure enough, I did. So, but And I then won it. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> well, you know, that, that goes back to one of our interviews earlier in the show with Cody Hedlund. <clears throat> I asked him about his minors and he said that Phil Rapp was one of them. And they were at a cutting in Idaho and there was a big spread between first and second. And Phil came to him mm-hmm. and he said, as a young writer, he said, take the pressure off of trying to, you know, just show all you know in one go because there's second place that still qualifies you. It gives you those points for your leading rider yes. standings, et cetera. And, you yes. know, that's, that's easy to say in an event that's judged, but in a timed event, you know, we truly, you know, every hundredth, every thousandth of a second counts. And, you know, it's amazing yes. How uh, how that clock clicks so fast? Yes, it does. It does. Every movement, everything you do, it, it counts. Ivy, I know that you're gassing up and and you're on your way to your first qualification at the Calgary Stampede. We wish you the greatest luck. But I'm gonna I'm gonna close by asking you a question. If you could yes. write your perfect future, what would it look like for Ivy Conrado? Uh, my perfect future wouldn't be for myself. It would be for Tibby and just for our breeding program. Um, you know, I really, Tibby is a world champion caliber of a horse, and I just hope that I can step up to the plate and just keep her to her full potential along with her siblings and, you know, make her mother one of the top leading mares and uh, lifetime earnings for her for her uh, children. You know what I mean? That's like my, my goal is for uh, Tibby's career, not necessarily for mine. So if I can just stick with her, then good deal. <laughs> well, I'm going to be rooting for you at the national finals and my seats are right front row around the third barrel. So wave at oh, me on perfect. the way by. Okay. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So before we leave Ivy, uh, how can we follow you? What's the best way to follow Ivy Conrado and uh, Dark Kelly and the adventures of your dad and his training programs. I know that one of his uh, goals is to train uh, rodeo horses or top barrel horses. Yes. Um, The best way to do that is on Facebook. My sister actually made a page um, for Tibby and I. It just says Ivy Conrado and Tibby um, on Facebook. And then Dark Kelly has his Facebook page, and you can follow that. And uh, then if people really want to follow anything, I have an Instagram and Snapchat and it's just my name. And, you know, I Snapchat all the funny stuff that dad does while we're rodeoing. So if anybody wants to see that. (laughs) I'm so glad you're able to travel with your sweet dad and keep your sense of humor. Yes. Yes. You got to have a sense of humor out here or else you're not going to make it. Well, we hope we can have the two of you on the show before the national finals because it's so important. It takes a team. It certainly is not just one person on the road. And I know every great champion always has a great support team. And we appreciate your dad, his legacy, his focus on good horses, and a reminder to all of us that good horsemanship never goes out of style. Ever. You are completely right. Okay, it's on the road again, Billings. Next stop, uh, where'd you say you're going to stay tonight? Uh, Great Falls, Montana. So Great Falls and then Calgary or bus. So we wish you the best of yep. luck. Thank you so much, Ivy Thank Conrado, you. for joining us on, on Barrel Racing Fun and Fast Times. Absolutely. Thanks for joining Sharon today. If you have any questions or comments, you can always reach out to Sharon at SharonCamarillo.com or email RafterCProductions at gmail.com. We'll see you next time on Fun and Fast Times with Sharon Camarillo on the Better Horses Network.
part of Dave Pratt's Star Worldwide Networks. I want 